Hey everybody, this is John Fusco, and you're listening to the No Film School Podcast. It's officially a new year, but we're still not over how great our podcast turned out in 2017. I've been sifting through all of the 50-plus interviews we did to find the best advice from some of the year's most notable names in independent film. Last week, in our first volume of Best Of, we heard from Flying Lotus, Julian Robespierre, Brett Gelman, and more. Today, you'll hear selections from Sean Baker, Ruben Osland, Lloyd Kaufman of Troma, and Parker Smith. That last name may not be as familiar as the rest. Parker Smith is the director of the South by Southwest standout Ramblin' Freak. His movie is essentially a documentary about a cross-country road trip he took from Austin to NYC with his cat. To find a bodybuilder who took so many steroids that his arms actually physically exploded, but it is also a story about him coming to terms with his twin sister's death and a study on the disease that killed them. The most impressive part of the documentary, however, is that Smith did every aspect of production completely by himself. This clip is from an episode called How to Make a Movie Entirely on Your Own. Yes. I, I, I lived in Boulder yeah. in, in high school and oh, okay. I just sort of, I, for my senior year, and so I just sort of went to see you because it was a film program and it was the only place I applied. And then you get there, and the orientation, at the orientation, you've already paid your first semester's uh, shit. And they're just <laughs> like, uh, by the way, this, this is like, this is what he said. He's like, this is not like an authentic film school. This is very experimental. He's like, and nobody, he's like, hardly anybody comes out of this thing and gets a job. Weird. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> and we're like, well, sitting there, we're like, uh, what? Yeah. And then they sort of, you know, and I, I mean, I'm not angry or anything about it, but. I did feel like they were sort of, you know, trying to all these all these kids come to school because they love movies, mm. you know, movies, and they they want to go make movies, and they sort of they teach you like, no, no, those are those are bad, mm. movies are not good. Like you want to make, you know, art, you want to yeah. you want to glue butterfly wings to sixteen millimeter film, you know, yeah. and so my first I did I did two semesters of filmmaking, uh, uh, you know, I was there for four years, but I dropped out three different times. Uh, and you know, so I did Super 8, and I did 16 millimeter, so I can you know I can go edit on a Steam Deck, but that's not going to get me like a job anywhere, right? You know, um, and then they, they would they would say, well, the third and fourth classes of those, you know, the the, the later semesters, the later years, are more like professional stuff where you can learn how a microphone works and stuff like that, like digital sort of. Yeah, I didn't software. make it that far. Okay, so um, this the movie you know that I just made is only like the second thing I ever made with with sound. And the first thing I made was what, my intern video for when I moved here for the Film Society. Like, I made, you know, so, you know, I don't, um, I had to learn how to, like, level mics and stuff making the movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess let's, that's a good segue into this question that I had about what exactly did you learn while in the process of making this movie as far as, you know, technical sort of film stuff and, like, DIY setups and... Yeah, I mean... I think the shots slowly get better as the film goes on. Yeah, totally. Because I learned like, oh, this this camera looks really cool if you like let it blow out in the windows, mm -hmm. or if mm -hmm. you like, you know, like how to make the DV look nice, like what looks better and what looks like garbage. Uh, I slowly, like, you know, I still don't exactly know how to color balance balance it. You know, the auto feature was nice. Mm -hmm. So um, it's interesting because like you know, we had a colorist come in after the fact, and she was like. You know, she wouldn't have made everything match, and I was like, no, 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 no. Like these, these two cameras don't even match themselves. Cause, like one's you know much older, so the heads are worn down on the tape, mm -hmm. and uh, like you don't match them. Don't make things you know don't if things look tungsteny. Like leave them like that. Like that's mm -hmm. how it's supposed to be. Like they were trying to cross fade you know the audios and stuff on the on the on the edits. I'm like, no, no, leave those clunky and sharp. Like 
they were people were trying to like make it look like more professional, more like polished, but um, sort of I gave myself like a lot of um, I guess um, wiggle room by like the movie is about a guy who doesn't know how to make a movie. Yeah. So. It's, well, it's it's just really interesting, like you say. It's uh, your technique gets better as the movie goes on. So it really is like it never a, gets great. Don't. <laughs> no, no, no. It. I mean, well, the story itself is yeah. is fantastic, um, but the the tech like the, the technique and the look aids the story mm-hmm. in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but that process, watching you sort of learn and seeing it happen, is is a really I think another part of the story that we get from uh from the film Mm -hmm. so you had this set up in the car like you did you have cameras positioned in the very beginning um yeah like i um there it didn't make it into the film but there was um i like there's i had the two dash cams one on the road and one inside the car and then i had um i took off the headrest of my passenger seat uh-huh. and I mounted a camera with a gorilla pod to that and so I have lots of shots of me like driving with one hand like you know yeah. moving, moving the moving the camera around and like you know trying to like drive while shoot I, I'm surprised it didn't die yeah I'm <laughs> well. in your in your case it really shows that you were the only one yeah on this film yeah can you speak to that experience a little bit so I tried to make a um um short my, my friends Ryan Dyke and Jane Urban um, were trying to make a short uh, that I'd written and I just sort of felt like I couldn't me personally I couldn't like figure out how to work with a crew because everything I did in college was by myself hmm. and I couldn't figure out how to like speak to them and like to help them to get me to do, do what I was trying to do though Ryan says you know that I could but I didn't feel like I was able to direct a film I couldn't control all the moving parts or something I couldn't figure out how to get the actor to do what I wanted him to do so I was like well I'm just gonna cut out everybody and just sort of, you know, I can only be responsible for myself and the cat. Yeah. Yeah. And the cat, the cat is there to like make you know that like it is a documentary because like I can't control the cat. He's a, you know, it's not a dog. Well, he is like a character. It's yeah. almost like, I mean, it's almost like a buddy road trip film, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. Like a guy with no friends. <laughs> <laughs> How much uh, did you like sort of budget yourself for your equipment? Um. I actually have, I have this receipt paper at home, uh, like some from my, from when I was at work on break. I was like, did a budget like you know, I'm like 100 bucks for a mic, 100 bucks for this, and then I looked at it recently, and the math is all wrong. Like <laughs> I didn't. Know, like, um, so uh, I worked. One guy at my job. One, I, I sell tacos. Yeah. One guy quit one day, and all of a sudden there was a bunch of hours that needed to be covered, and so I worked like 110 hours in two weeks, and I got like a really nice paycheck, and then I just dumped it all on stuff. I was like, what do I need? Like you know, I was like, I need two shotgun mics, I need some some cables, I need some tripods. Um, I bought some, you know, uh, dead, the dead cats. I, I never used them. The, wait, wait, the, oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I uh, never used those, but I was just like, well, uh, you know, what do people who make films buy? Yeah. How did you go about tracking down what you needed? Um, eBay for the, for the cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I bought the one with Greg and then I had to buy the same one again. Uh, a much. So you had two, uh, you had, how many cameras did you have total? Two of the DVX and then two dash cams. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, there's no like American market for dash cams, so okay. you gotta buy them all from China. Huh. So I found some with that had um, LCD screens, so I could see the shot, which not all of them have. Um, and then they, I was like leaving like you know Friday, and they were held up at customs. They wouldn't, they weren't coming. Hmm. And so I was like, well, I might just have to omit the whole part of the film, which is gonna ruin the dash cam car crashes thing. I was like, that was a big part of it. But they, they came. They were pieces of crap. They like like you know, you'll notice like halfway through the film they stop appearing because they stopped working, you know. <laughs> um, 
but the audio is nice. Like the audio, uh, we use the audio in the film. Like mm-hmm. it worked well enough. Um, yeah. What did you use for the audio? Just two shotgun mics. Two shotgun mics. Like, yeah. On the uh, on the on the thing. You know, huh. So there's some. Uh, they didn't have even have like a nice mount. Had like some uh, old mounts that. There's some occasional like popping and stuff that happens, but I think it works. Mm. Um, so I had those two. I bought the two gorilla pods, the big ones with the nice ball heads. Those are awesome. I, I bought two real tripods that I'd never even used. Okay. Um, well, it's good to be prepared. Yeah, I was just like, I, I don't know what I need. I'm just gonna buy everything. Yeah. So microphones, cameras, tripods. Uh, oh, I bought an LED light. Yeah, lights. I want to know just a little uh, hot shoe. Just, oh, just one. Yeah. Not, not like a panel or anything. Just like a little. Like a little LED like panel the size of like a, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I ever use that either. Okay. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, bought everything I thought I might need. And then I was broke, and I um, had to go and get a credit card to make the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to go buy a van. Yeah, that that's crazy. Yeah, the van. So my, I like call Greg on, uh, in the first scene on like the 16th of September. Mm-hmm. Two days later, it's my birthday, the 18th of September, and I'm like going out to um, the other side of Texas, which is a big state. Yeah. Uh, to make a music video in my van with 200,000 miles, that was going to be the whole point of the film, and it broke down in the middle of nowhere, and I left it in the desert. Uh, we got back. Um, this family was coming there and they picked us up in their RV because they had left it behind in a similar situation. Hmm. And we rode back with them and they were like, they were, they were their own movie for sure. They could have been. Yeah. Um, and so I had to go like, go buy a new van. And I was like, I was attached to the Honda Odyssey for the vehicle. Like, you know, that's how I, that's that was where the idea came from. And so I went to the credit union. I got like a, like a loan for, yeah. which was like, at the time I was like, this is the most adult thing I've ever done by far. You know, I'm, gonna go buy a van by myself like I don't have like, like a co-center no like I'm just gonna go do it mm-hmm. um so like, you know I, I think I accidentally like became an adult making this movie so then how did you go about getting this thing produced uh Instagram Instagram you know I'm not like super savvy on that somehow huh. it just happened I was like you know I Really, I was so I was trying to edit the public access studio. They have a nice um, thing down there. Like you know, you can they'll teach you how to use the equipment and they'll give it to you as long as you give them something to make out of it. You know. Okay. Um, so I was down there trying to edit and it was never going to happen because it was just uh, such a slow process and they were only open for like six hours a night on like four nights a week. It was mm-hmm. never going to get finished. Um, and so I started like reaching out to people. Like I was trying to find you know like um, I emailed Vincent Gallo. He didn't reply. Uh, met some people in town. Didn't like them. They didn't like me. I don't think it didn't, didn't go well. And then um, one day, I put, I was in my bedroom drinking, and I taped my cell phone to my ceiling fan, and I turned it on some motion, mm-hmm. and I posted it on Instagram. And then somehow, this huh. guy Glenn Zipper liked the video, even though I don't, you know, I don't even hashtag or anything. I'm not, I'm not even sure how he found it. He liked it, and he liked some of my other stuff. And then he followed me, and I was like, "Hey, look at this trailer. Like, what do you think? Like." You know, he's like, well, uh, when is it, you know, do you have something I can see? Do you have the film? I'm like, no, <laughs> no. Like this trailer is the first thing I've done with it. And it took me like, you know, five months to even get this much done. He's like, well, how about this? I'll send you a computer and you can edit it on at home. And then in return, I'll be your producer. And I was just like, maybe, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe. Like I was like, I didn't really know who he was or even what that meant. I was like, what does that producer do? Yeah. And he's like, well, we do everything else that you don't want to do. I'm mm-hmm. like, all right, that, that sounds great. Which is true, like, like, you know, there's, like, filmmaking, you can, all the camera and stuff, and then everything else, so you still have to do yourself up, up until that point. And so, uh, and then I sent him, like, 
uh, 30 minutes of like uncut footage, mm-hmm. like an idiot. Like he sent me the computer and I was like, hey, check out this raw footage. Like you're going to love it. And yep. he, he was like, this is, you know, I'm gonna, he's like, he said, quote, I'm going to have to spin this. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> like, and uh, so that, you know, sort of cooled him off a little bit on the project. And then um, I went and I edited it for like, you know, five, four or five months. I took out a loan from the same bank Thanks. that gave me the car yeah. uh, to pay myself for a month and a half to edit full time. Cool. Um, I'm still paying that off. It was like an unsuit, like a personal loan, like it was like a 14 percent interest rate or some ridiculous thing. Damn. Um, which I know, I know what that means now. Mm. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's high. It's very high. Um, yeah, and I just like stayed in my room for uh, several months and just worked all the time. And then you know, a week before South by Deadline, I sent them a two and a half hour long cut, mm. and they were like, "Well, this is nice. It's too long." Mm-hmm. We're going to get you an extension and we're going to get it down to like, you know, more manageable time. And we did like an hour and a half now. Yeah. Which is crazy. It was three and a half hours of, you know. Well, it's a lot of footage. Yeah, it's a lot of footage. And it's mostly just a guy driving, you know. Mm-hmm. The movie is the brown bunny with like a cat mm-hmm. and no no blowjob, unfortunately. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert. Sorry, yeah. guys. If you're looking for blowjobs, this is not the film for you. Uh-huh. Um Now that you've made your first feature, um, you know, you just said it was nice because you had some time to relax. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you feel? Like, was it the cathartic sort of moment or experience oh, yeah. that you totally wanted? I was at this interview, um, and they were like, well, this was an exciting part of the journey. And I was like, there's nothing exciting on the journey. Like, it was miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, so the most exciting part was getting to South by, you yeah, know? Yeah. Like, the catharsis came, I guess, uh, there's not necessarily any catharsis in the film, maybe a little bit at the end, but like it really came in reality, like I think yesterday. Okay. You know? All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the premiere. Right? Yeah. It was wild. Um, you know, people want to interview me and talk to me and stuff. It's, um, it's crazy. I, like I was, you know, s- selling tacos. I was delivering tacos. I had to be there at 5 a.m. yesterday. Yeah. Delivering tacos downtown. Uh, and I, you know, clocked out at one and then I went to the <laughs> premiere at 3:45. <laughs> it's a, it's a trip. Um, do you have any advice for, or like if you had a best piece of advice for, uh, anyone who's trying to make a movie? Yeah. This is like when I was interning, uh, one of the programmers at AFS, Lars Nielsen, he's like, so what, do, what are you in Austin for? I was like, well, I want to make movies. He's like, well, are you making movies? And I was like, no. He's like, well, that doesn't, that's not how you do it. Like, he's like, you should go buy a camera and you should go make documentaries. Mm. And like that, you know, learn how it works and like learn how to tell a story and then do that. And that is what I did. Yeah. And that's why we're here right now. It's like I bought a camera and I went out and I made a movie. Yeah. Go outside and, you know, make a documentary about somebody. Like it's, it's, you can do it by yourself. You know, you don't need a crew. Uh, if you want to make a narrative, you know, thing with actors and stuff, that's, that's harder. I don't have any advice for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I failed at that, but, uh, hopefully I'll learn at some point. Yeah. Just go outside and do it. Next up is my favorite interview of the year, nay, perhaps even my favorite experience in my two years with no film school. I got the chance to sit down with Sean Baker after seeing The Florida Project at the New York Film Festival. The Florida Project is not only my favorite film of the year, it is the culmination of decades of hard work. Baker had made five movies prior to The Florida Project, the majority of which came without any financial backing. He is a DIY filmmaker in its purest form. This clip is from an episode called The Florida Project, Sean Baker on why you need to invest in yourself when no one else will. 
did you went to film school, right? You went to I did yeah. NYU, NYU Tisch undergrad. Cool. Very cool. For, so for undergrad, though. Yes, yes. And uh, what kind of things uh, were you learning? When, when was that? Oh, you really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. A long, <laughs> long time ago in a galaxy far away. Yeah. Now, a very long time ago, actually. I, I graduated. I, I'm not going to say a year, but let's just say I graduated with, like, Todd Phillips, Mark Forster, those guys. Okay, that works yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah. What were some of the things that you took away from film school uh, back then? Um, that... When I first was leaving film school, I realized that it was way more about the people you were meeting there than the education you were receiving. Right. Uh, equipment was very important, the access to equipment at the time. Um, and, I, and I started to think, huh, I could have done this at my community college. <laughs> and I kind of still think that way. Yeah. <laughs> Hope NYU isn't listening. Um, no, it's really about... I think it's all about the people you are working with. So I always told people, hey, it doesn't matter if you're going to school or not, as long as you just go hang out with the people mm -hmm. who are actually going and, and get on their crews, you know, and learn that way. Because that's exactly what you're doing anyway. Yeah. You know, you're, 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 you're learning from, from working together and, and, uh, and forming relationships that you will be hopefully, and in my case, yes, it, it did work out, uh, you'll have for the rest of your life. NYU is more about my my time to be in such a wonderful city that that provided me with with ways of almost self-educating. Right. So I had the retrospective theaters. I had anthology film archives. That was major in my life. I had the Film Society of Lincoln Center with all the wonderful festivals. Um, I even I had Kim's video. I had I had. Uh, you know, uh, all right. Yeah. All of them. All yeah. Of them. So, so it was a great time to be in New York because you just had act. Well, right now is a great time too. Okay. Like there was a moment in there where it got a little hairy, <laughs> yeah. but then all of a sudden like I live in LA now and I look at all like these amazing theaters, Nighthawk and oh, Metrograph yeah. oh, and yeah. the quad is now amazing. So I look at like, I'm jealous. Yeah. You bring up LA now. And mm -hmm. one of the things that you said at that screening at, or the, the talk, yeah. I don't know if you remember. Yeah is uh, you said that once you hit L.A., you mm. kind of don't look back in terms of... Uh, you lived in New York City. You still have an apartment in New York City, yeah, right? Yeah, but... Yeah, because it's rent-stabilized. I, okay. well, I, I sublet it out. But I L.A. Uh, LA does... And there's no doubt about it, it. It puts you in the world of the industry. Okay. Now, look, you can have an independent film career here, obviously. Look at... Spike Lee and Jarmusch and you know it works here it totally works here but there was uh, the the just the proximity for me helped me out I think I don't know whether it was my time the time in my life or the fact that I actually um, felt myself closer to you know colleagues and peers that were working in my field and I wanted to you know I, I felt almost like a stronger sense of community there and not slamming the New York's New York's film community I'm just saying that they, that was the time where I felt like I was finally uh, interacting with mm. with others with other filmmakers and uh, and so I, I found inspiration there when do you think would be a good time for an aspiring filmmaker to move to LA does he have to have like an established feature out does it make uh, no I think it really depends on what sort of work you want to do mm -hmm. And um, 
and yeah, and your career path that you want to take. I mean, look at look at all the filmmakers who live in Austin now. Right. I mean, they're obviously doing great, and they have a sense of community there. And then, and uh, and so it really depends. I mean, look, if you want to go right into TV, and and uh, and you have, I would or or studio films. Obviously, you go there, go there fast. You know, I I never had that desire, and so even living there now is more about quality of life. Um, you know, I, my, my income level is still, it's just an independent filmmaker. So it actually is cheaper to live there. Yeah. And, um, and also being in the unions, it helps out. I'm very close to the DGA and, and there's, there's lots of, you know, for me, it provides me with a lot of events and screenings and, and, uh, so I don't know, it really, really comes down to your career path. And, uh, mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm like I say this just you know considering making a move out there myself. Um, I don't know mm. anyone out there really, mm. yeah. uh, but I think you know like, like you say it, it's about I guess the relationships that you'll forge there. Do you have to have yes. relationships in place, or is, did you find it easy to sort of like make new relationships? I did find it easy to make new re- relationships. I mean, you have people who are are all struggling. They're trying to break in, so you're surrounding yourself with other people who are like-minded mm-hmm. and um and there does seem to be you know to a certain degree a social you know uprising there where i i see that there are more there are more events for filmmakers um there are more there are more uh, you know you have film independent out there it's very strong i mean i know you know ifp is here and it's the same sort of thing if you're if you're going to especially if you're going down the the route of of um Agent, an agency, you want to find an agent, an agent, and you're going to be, you know, that you're going to be working within the system. Mm-hmm. If you're there, you're getting way more meetings. You can find financiers and producers easier. Mm-hmm. So there's that okay. to take into consideration. I was lucky enough to to land a job. It was a very, you know, it was just one of those like right out of school finding uh, a small publishing company that put me in charge of their AV work. So basically I was producing a lot of corporate type videos. I was interviewing uh, authors, traveling all over the the States just to, to interview them and then put together a little EPK. Right. But that, that's good. That's good work. I mean, it pays the bills and I would suggest anybody who is, who is striving to become a filmmaker to stay within your at least at least in the AV world because yeah. you're practicing on a daily basis and mm-hmm. even though it feels like oh this isn't me being creative it is it really is because you're still you're still framing shots you're still you're still editing you're still getting you know understanding the technical side of things so and and the, and trust me I've gone to places where I've even spent uh, how long about six months editing and shooting wedding videos. I mean, what felt like the lowest part of my, like, <laughs> I can't get any lower. I'm doing wedding videos. Uh, but that, looking back on it, even though at the time I was just like, this is, this is really, um, I can't get any lower. Looking back, it was actually a time in which there was a lot of growth. I was, I was uh, spending the time to edit these wedding videos in a way that was like I was putting my heart into them yeah you know and not only that I was I was actually getting to 
in a sociological uh, way, I was going to all these weddings from people from different backgrounds. And, and, the, and, and, and I even wrote a script that hasn't been produced yet, but was about a Russian wedding because of the amount of, you know, you live in New York, and oh, there's an amount yeah. of like the weddings <laughs> that I had to go out in, in Brighton Beach. Yeah. And, 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 and they, were, they were so unique and so wonderful, so fun and, and, and so full of character that like as, a, as somebody who's a writer, it was, it was giving me so much material. So at the time, yes, wanted to kill myself. <laughs> and then, you know, looking back in hindsight, I actually got a lot from it. So, so sticking in the world of, you know, in, in this industry to a certain degree, I think that going off and, you know, and, and being, um, doing something outside of your industry um, is if you can, you know, if you can find, if you can pay the bills with, with doing corporate videos or editing or whatever you can, I would say do that over doing something completely unrelated because there's still, it's still practice. You're still, and, and, and again, I, I'm the type of filmmaker who thinks that, a, that a director should, should know almost all aspects of, of technology, of, of, you know, the technological aspects of, of filmmaking. I really feel like a director no, should know how to turn on a freaking camera. I've met too many directors who can't even turn on a camera, which is embarrassing. You know, I, I, I think that um, a director should understand shooting, not be a master DP. No, obviously not. But if but know how to capture an image, um, you know, should know how to edit on a base on one of the nonlinear systems. You should know Final Cut or you should know the Avid, um, you know, because what it comes down to is that uh, this is a director driven art. Right. I mean, one person eventually it falls into a director's lap and and you should be able to, you know, jump on these whatever these the editing system or the camera or whatever it takes um to to actually it's like a painter not knowing how to pick up a brush right you know what i mean yeah yeah anyway i totally went off on a tangent no there. no that was great <laughs> i mean it's it's a uh, it's it, it's even more uh a a thing to to know every aspect of production mm-hmm. if you're working on your first passion project oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> you know because people are you can't expect everyone to ever have the amount of passion you'll have for that they're not being paid enough yeah (laughs) you know they're simply you can't even you can't even i mean there are of course those really special personalities out there those producers who are with you no matter what but it's asking a lot of people yeah because the amount when you break down the uh when you really break it down and you're saying like how much did i actually make making this feature it's usually well if that's if you're not paying for it if you're paying for it yourself you're usually losing money yeah, absolutely but but even in the sense that even in a place where you're getting like your director's minimums from the union so I get say I just am a director mm-hmm. and I have a DGA minimum coming in for a feature right okay you break that down over three years of time and you are working almost like six days a week and it's 12 hours a day sometimes, you're basically making minimum wage. Yeah. <laughs> your, yeah. You know what I mean? And it's more than that yeah. too because yeah. you're constantly thinking oh, about yeah. these you're, things. So you're, 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 The amount of stress, you're mm-hmm. killing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> There's that whole thought too. So become a filmmaker. Yeah. <laughs> um, but ultimately though, then you look at it and you're like, okay, but I am in the position. You have to stay positive because like you're in a position in which – Wow, you actually are able to, to to work in this in this in this art form. It's the most expensive art form. It takes a lot of luck and a lot of right timing and a lot of like, 
you know, years and years of, 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 of being driven and, and, and ultimately it's like, you know, but I'm, I'm in a place of privilege. I'm, I'm, I'm being able to do this. And this is really something that I should be thankful for because, you know, um, so many people are not in that position. They, they are going through, they have jobs that they, they can't wait until 5 p.m. They just want to go home and forget about it. We go home. We don't go home. Sometimes our, you know, we 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 live with our our, our work for for three years straight, and then it's on to the next one. Yeah. You know, and so these are our babies. These are our children, and 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 so if you think about it, it's like we are we are just we are like career long parents. That's our <laughs> thing. You know, it's <laughs> it's weird. It's crazy. Yeah. By that time, because I think of what happened with Takeout and Prince of Broadway, we were able to get financing finally. And, and then all of a sudden, Dree Hemingway comes my way because of her manager loving Prince of Broadway. So it proved that like all that like me putting my own money into it and like, will I ever get a break? Yes. In hindsight, it actually did work. Like all my self-investment in my own projects actually got me to a place where suddenly Finally, I had a financier. Finally, I had a, like a, a Mariel's daughter, Ernest's great-granddaughter, starring in my film. And, you know, it was just finally the ball, ball was rolling. Mm-hmm. And that, I'm going to sum up, the, that led to Duplass and loving, you know, coming up to the next film. And then, of course, Tangerine leading to this film. So it was like, it was years of just like a lot of, a lot of, um, <laughs> Almost giving up, almost giving up, almost giving up, but feeling that if I don't invest in myself, nobody will. Yeah. And I think that, if anything, is my, is what I say to like people. You just got to keep going, keep going and putting your product out there because you got to keep proving yourself. You're not, people aren't just going to come and just throw money at you until they see actually potential and, you know, yeah. so yeah. I'm sorry for being so long-winded there. No, are you kidding me? <laughs> um, I, I mean, it just seems like... Uh, you know, you, if no one else is going to believe in you, you have to believe in yourself. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I do have a really great team around me and they've been very supportive over the years and I've loved collaborating with them. So you, it's also about finding, you know, those people that you really connect with and have a similar sensibility and, and people that you can, yeah, again, rely on. Yeah. Yeah. The Kaufmans are a very impressive family. Dad is Lloyd Kaufman, creator of The Toxic Avenger and King of B-Movies, whose independent studio Troma Entertainment has produced and distributed more than 1,000 films and launched the careers of major directors like Guardians of the Galaxy's James Gunn, who wrote the company's cult classic Tromeo and Juliet in 1996. Mom is Pat Swinney Kaufman, who was the deputy film commissioner for New York State for 20 years, where she built the state's tax credit program for movie productions and was called one of the most powerful women in the U.S. film industry by Variety magazine. Their daughter is Lizbeth Kaufman, co-founder of Kitsplit, which is now the biggest online camera rental company. Liz Nord sat down with all of them for an interview titled The First Family of DIY on How to Make Your Own Damn Movie. Here it is. You know, in thinking about you coming here, I thought this is the first family of DIY. You know, this is the first totally. family of independent film. And I'm I'm wondering what that kind of means to you. What does the do-it-yourself ethos mean how does it play into what you've done in the industry yeah i mean daddy you've written books on this you 
Well, I went to, uh, I made the mistake of going to Yale University. I got room with a, ro- a movie nut, and uh, the film society, which he ran, had a big stack of Cahiers de Cinema uh, magazines in French, and I speak French, and the, uh, that is the magazine of the French Cinematheque. And they propounded the auteur theory of filmmaking, which says the the film the director should be 100% in control and the film should express his, her, or its heart and soul. I bought into that and stupidly decided to stay in New York and be in the underground and just didn't matter. Just make the film. Make your own damn movie. Uh, make your own damn movie. And luckily the commissioner permitted me to do that for uh, many years and, um, and uh, also was a big... I think the 20 years that the commissioner gave to New York State was very nice for students because the other commissioners very often don't talk to the students and don't talk to the uh, the traumas of the world. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, my, Pat Swinney Kaufman was as nice to the NYU or the make, do your own damn make your own damn movie student as she was to uh, to um, uh, Spider Man. I mean, I think one of the great things about having our lives and careers be in New York and raising Elizabeth and her two sisters in New York was that we were just completely immersed in the independent film world of New York. I mean, my work, I worked with the big studios, the big television productions, the big films, but I also very much worked with all the independents, as Lloyd has very generously said, because I really did view um, New York as the independent film capital of the world and have always been amazed at the opportunity that I think exists in New York uniquely. And I think that one of the great things about what Lisbeth now does is that it fits so perfectly uh, in that universe. It really is going to make it even um, you know, more convenient and even easier for the, the independent filmmaker, young or old, um, to find his or her way, get the equipment that he or she needs, um, and and do the project that, well, that well, Kid they Split want. is perfect for this new age of, of micro budget. Everyone can make a movie. It, the making of cinema has been democratized. It's terrific. Uh, you, you can make a film for virtually no money, and it can be great. Uh, we're producing a couple of films now with new young directors. One uh, Heidi Moore in Indiana, and one uh, a guy in Portugal, um, Fernando uh, Fernando whatever his name is, who made uh, <laughs> Banana Mother Effers, a very funny trauma movie. And uh, look at the it's uh, everyone can make a movie. You don't need Rupert Murdoch. You don't need Summer Meyerson. You can do it yourself. It's and my, my dad has also written a series of books called Make Your Own Damn Movie, which now we all say as a, right. as a normal you phrase. Say in our, like, make, make your, your own, own damn, damn movie. movie. Make yeah. your own damn movie. Um, Sell your own damn movie. But you're a big proponent of the idea that you know you don't you don't have to go to film school you don't need a big hollywood budget if you've got an idea a vision and passion and dedication that you can make an amazing project because you each have you know experience starting initiatives starting companies and films and projects doing a startup right now what advice do you have persistence being part of it what advice do you have for anyone just trying to start from scratch because almost all of our listeners are starting something from scratch whether it's a script or a production or whatever it is yeah I'm totally I I feel like I'm in awe of filmmakers because every time you make a new film it's like starting a new company and you have you have to figure so much out from insurance to hiring and all of that and it happens every time so yeah it's people have a lot of a lot of work there um I guess 
uh, advice. I think for me, um, staying very open-minded and collaborative, treating the process of starting something as a team process. I think to build on what Elizabeth just said, um, I I know that Lloyd's going to say, just do it, right? To thine own self be true, just do it. And he can speak very eloquently about that. And I would say that, um, that I, that if you, when you are just starting out, to find your community, to network as much as possible, go to every possible event and network, and find other people who have your, who are like you, delving into this industry, and and meet people at all different levels. Right, those who've already had a, have a project or two under their belt, to those, those that are uh, just you know putting their toe in the water, just meet people at every single level and connect, 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 network, 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 and build your 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 community and build your entourage uh, because together you can all make your project happen. I have a few other things too. Please. One thing I've learned from my dad is uh, kind of like guerrilla marketing and promotions and like don't be humble or I mean it's good to be humble, but don't be self-deprecating. Be really proud of what you're working on and tell everyone about it as often as possible. Um, people are, if you're excited about something, other people will get excited. Um, and there are so many ways to get the word out. So don't be shy. I'm in about 400 movies, mainly underground movies, to help young people. If I'm in it, the trauma fans will support it. They'll buy the DVDs. At the, uh, and I'm in some big ones like uh, Guardian of the Galaxy and Sharknado and uh, blah, blah, blah. I've written a book called Sell Your Own Damn Movie. And I think the lesson there and what I've observed about young people is many of them feel they're artists and they shouldn't dirty themselves up in, uh, you know, merchants selling the movie and pimping for their films. And they should. Picasso did it. He, he was a rich man. Uh, he also beat up uh, women. Uh, uh, Van Gogh uh, uh, didn't do any of that. He cut his ear off and uh, didn't sell a picture except to his brother for 50 bucks. And meanwhile, today, Van Gogh is uh, equal to Picasso. Had Van Gogh gone out and uh, promoted, he might not have had to cut his ear off despite his nose. Uh, I've written a... uh, Here's a chapter I'm going to present to Liz from my book, Sell Your Own Damn Movie. It suggests that piracy is good and copyright is abused. And um, you have to think along those lines. You have to you have to share art. Art should be shared. So file file sharing and all this stuff that the uh, the elites want you to uh, avoid. Uh, no, you should share art, and art should be shared. It shouldn't be locked up in copyright for forty years. The thread that I pulled from that is to be be, be bold and be daring, and I, you know I love that. I think that's important for everyone to. The commissioner take to said heart. it: "To thine own self be true." Shakespeare, the Bard, uh, you know that's it. Do what you believe in. It's art and filmmaking, as Lisbeth said, is the hardest. It's the hardest thing in the world, except for maybe opening a restaurant. You're running a restaurant that looks pretty hard, <laughs> but uh, you, you really have to believe in it, and it's. Uh, you know, it's just not worth uh, making uh, crap that you think the, the the public wants. Be ahead of the public, and eventually you'll be rewarded. The Museum of Modern Art uh, played uh, the volume one of Return to Return to No, sorry, Return to Newcomb High, and now the Museum of the Moving Image has realized that we've got uh, art in our souls. Yeah, so, highbrow uh, You have to wait. You yeah. got to wait. Yeah, it it absolutely. doesn't happen overnight. You know, James Gunn is the number one director in Los Angeles. Everyone says, thinks it's overnight. He he, right. he suffered three years with us and 12 years in Hollywood. So, uh, you know, he deserves it. And he's extremely talented and a great guy. Great guy. Seems like a good guy. Yeah, I mean, the mainstream yeah. has good people. 
Um, well, we're all melting in here. I do this does bring up one more question, so I'm going to ask one more. <laughs> but it seems that all of you have anticipated trends in a certain way throughout your careers. I mean, Lisbeth, you certainly have with Kit Split. Like you saw this sharing economy happen. You know, as you mentioned, Lloyd, you you were sort of on YouTube early. You were doing. You've done VR now. You know. Pat, you, you're, the type of initiatives you worked on in this state have been replicated. So All over, yes. What advice do you have about that? How do you, how do you know what's coming? How do you anticipate what's coming? I think my dad and yeah, my, both my parents are really good at this, but I think it also it has to do with being open-minded and keeping your ear to the ground. Um, you know, it's like it's great to listen to people who have PhDs and are super, you know, established. But I think uh, listening to everyone um, is is a lot more or you can learn a lot from that as well um, I also think just like perpetual research and read a lot which is obvious but and and Lloyd uh, often goes against the, the sort of the flow of the river and does something really alternative and different uh, like for when he invented the, when he came up with the concept of the toxic Avenger right you you and your partner Michael had just read articles that said that you know, monsters were dead, and that's right. Horror Variety had a nice headline: the "Horror Films back in the early No longer 70s. commercial." Right? Yeah, <laughs> and that you couldn't, and the belief, and the conventional wisdom was you couldn't mix comedy and horror. That's right. And yeah. and you can't, you can't mix sex and and comedy either. Yeah, you know, because the Renko crowd wants to take it very seriously because sex is so funny. Well, like, it's yeah, funny. yeah. Of course yeah. It's funny. Yeah. And Lloyd, so Lloyd and Michael were the first to do uh, film sexy comedies uh, like uh, Squeeze Play and Waitress, and then uh, right after they did a, a series of sexy comedies that did very well, then suddenly Hollywood did Porky's, right? And and suddenly Hollywood took. But they were first. Uh, the, the Lloyd and his partner were first, and then they decided to do to to go against yeah, conventional except the wisdom. Big companies were playing unfair. They were using good actors and good scripts. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to turn to the Toxic Avenger. We mixed in horror, comedy, uh, uh, sexy stuff, political, police, romance, songs. We were Cuisinart of genres, and and when there were fifteen hundred video stores with trauma sections. We weren't put in the horror department. We were trauma. So it's very interesting. We got about a 1,000 But I think part of the lesson there is they were completely willing, if not eager, to go against conventional wisdom. Um, and because they went against conventional wisdom and went down their own road, they gen- they were literally ahead of the curve on almost everything. And eventually everybody else starts copying them. And then they move on and become ahead of the curve on something else. And it kind of reach- it goes back to what you were saying about like to thine own self be true like to in today's world like if you go with your gut thanks to the internet you will be able to con- get connected with all the other people who have similar ideas or mm-hmm. get excited about the same thing i mean we live in a, like comic-con is such a crazy example of this where i remember you've been going to comic-con for like decades back in the day it was sort of a niche thing and now everyone's excited about it um, and thanks to the power of the internet it's brought all these people together who are excited about it so if you have a vision and and you execute that vision you can find your audience um, and believe in yourself finally this week here's a couple of clips from an interview i did back at the new york film festival with ruben osland the director of this year's swedish foreign film oscar hopeful the square The Square is an enigmatic pancake of a film that deals with the art world, but it says a lot about the world of film as well. Ostland himself is a film teacher, so he had some great advice to give us in this episode called How to Master the Art of Satire. Ruben Ostland on The Square. 
Take a listen. It's quite a concept, and uh, you know, it it there's so many different layers to that sort of feeling about trusting other people, and even with your art, you know, like putting this crazy feature out in a world that's sort of, you know, you have this line in the film where these two marketing ad execs come in and they're trying to uh, create a viral video and they're talking about how audience can't stand more than what, like 15 seconds of a video these days. Mm -hmm. And then they go out and they lay out these guidelines for what makes a successful viral video. And essentially it's the exact opposite of what you do with your film. You know, you've you've created a two and a half hour long film uh, that doesn't really put out this crazy grab in the beginning, but it's more of a slow burner and it gets crazy in the end. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I, what I want to know is how do you keep people uh, in, invested in your film in this crazy ADD world? <laughs> um, what are some of your tactics to keep your story and your film engaging in a way mm-hmm. that like, you know, for me, it seemed like an hour and a half long movie. Mm-hmm. Great. You know? mm. Uh, well, I think that one important thing is that you are very interested in you in the scenes and what's going on in front of the camera as a director. And if you are not, then the audience will feel that. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, I, 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 I've been working with quite long shots for a long time, you know, and the real time aspect can build up a certain kind of tension. Um, and uh, I don't know, you know, it, it is being very careful with the details and like um, you know show that show the audience that you have been thinking about all the details i think that Mikkel Haneke wasn't uh, a master in, in doing this really like having quite simple shots that not that much happens but you are on your toes as yeah, an audience yeah absolutely and so i'm trying to approach the cinema making in a little bit the same way you know when you are very very carefully and planned in what you are shooting and and still you have to have the ability of creating a dynamic in that you know sometimes you have to be very alive and authentic and sometimes you can go down in phase so a combination of trying to create the dynamics when it comes to the phase of the film and also um, yeah also the image language and things like that you have to uh, wild, exciting, and sometimes slow and very subtil. And, yeah. yeah. Is there any way, like, is there any way an individual in uh, even like the film scene can elevate his art to sort of, uh, you know, like you say, make uh, the social like sphere more conscious of these? issues or an issue in general and what what's a what's a way for him to do that i, I think it's about education of course and, and the way that we are looking at like yeah the knowledge that we have about ourselves you know that we have about ourselves as a species that we understand that we are an herd animal and uh, in order to in order to change the possibility to actually you know have an decisions that is about these questions have an impact on society i think that we have to really really start thinking about um, yeah as i said work as a community but but it's a little bit you know it's a little bit like that this these topics are 
are quite present today that we realize that this is not possible to, to continue in this way. Uh, and um, to create awareness about this is, of course, big, big, big work and have to be done in many different levels in the society uh, in order to, to make people aware of this. But um, yeah, making a film is one way. Yeah, making <laughs> film, and I mean, making a film that's uh, engaging and thought provoking. So my last question would be, uh, you know, you you actually teach film um, mm -hmm. at a at a university, and we're no film school. Uh, so and it's not like that we devalue the uh, the university process, and I'm sure it's a lot easier for uh, students' perspectives, film students, to go into the arts in a place like Sweden mm. or in Europe. Um, what do you think the the value of that education is, and how can people who aren't exposed to that sort of education, replicate it for themselves. Um, uh, I think that really, seriously, what, what I really, really think is the biggest advantages of going to a film school is that you can create a network of people around you that are on the same level and that are striving for the same goal and working together. I think that's the most important thing that was for me in film school, that you know, I met a couple of people that had the same way of thinking what we wanted to do. I met older teachers that now are my friends because we have the same kind of attitude towards what, what, how we look at the world, you know, and to try to build up that network. And, you know, my, my father's grandfather, he was a mecenaut for a group of artists in, in Sweden called the Halmstad Group. And they were painting surrealistic paintings in like around the 30s, 1930. And he said something that was that I have always like brought with me. And it was that he said, you can fight as much as you want, but always stick together. Because if you are a couple of people, you become so much stronger than if you are like an alone director or a lone DOP, etc. If you are a group of people and you create your own community, it becomes dangerous immediately, you know. Then it becomes like a movement that is going on. So I think that you really, really should strive for trying to find your group of people and work together and fight and be angry at each other sometimes, but also realize that, that being generous towards each other is only making your own position better and your own position stronger. Mm -hmm. So try to find a, a group to work together with. And honesty too, it seems like. <laughs> honesty, can, honesty can lead to anger maybe or fights, but. Sure, yeah. sure. No, it, it's really, really great if you, you, have, you have the possibility to, to uh, being criticized and have, like for me, also now, you know, when, when you're getting established and you win like a prestigious prize as the Palme d'Or, uh, to have people that have been with you for many, many years and don't, they still will criticize you just as hard as they've always been doing. And, and don't take the, the, the criticism too personal. It's about the film. It's mm -hmm. not about you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's all for this week. Be sure and tune in the next couple of weeks for even more of our best advice from 2017. If you like what we've been doing, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast platform you use and give us a five-star rating if that happens to be iTunes. I'm John Fusco. You can follow me at Jim underscore John underscore Jim on Twitter. And you can follow No Film School at No Film School. See you next week.